Welcome to AAA Sky. Today, we're discussing the Lower East Side Girls Club and Planetarium with Dave Pentecost. I'm Irene Pease. And I'm Stanley Fertig. AAA Sky is produced by the Amateur Astronomers Association of New York, whose mission is to promote the study of astronomy and to emphasize its cultural and inspirational value. Find out more about us at aaa.org. First, a word from the president of AAA, Brian Berg. Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of AAA Sky, the official podcast of the Amateur Astronomers Association of New York. I am Brian Berg, president of the association. In this episode, Irene interviews David Pentecost about building and using a planetarium at the Lower East Side Girls Club. Also, I hope that all of you participated in the first ever AAA Sky Listener Challenge because the winner will be announced. As always, we have so many things going on at AAA. I hope that all of you are checking our website at AAA.org. And please let us know of any questions or comments that you have regarding this podcast. With that said, Stan and Irene, take it away. Dave Pentecost, recently retired, is Director of Technology and Planetarium Programming at the Lower East Side Girls Club in New York City. Before that, he worked as a television editor and producer at PBS, ABC, CBS, and NBC. For the Discovery and National Geographic channels, he produced stories on the ancient and living Maya of southern Mexico, documenting archaeological finds and archaeoastronomy in the jungle cities. The East Village Planetarium was his way to bridge ancient and modern technology, music and animation, and to pass it along to curious kids in the community. I spoke with Dave about the planetarium and some of his other projects. So welcome, Dave. Thank you so much for joining me here on AAA Sky, taking the time to chat with me. really appreciate it. Well, I'm happy to talk to you. (laughs) Um, So you are recently retired, right? Congratulations on that. Thanks. And uh, you had a position, you were a director of technology and planetarium programming at the Lower East Side Girls Club. So I'm really excited just for our listeners to be able to hear a bit about the, the Girls Club and especially about the planetarium there. Um, so I believe you were basically with the Girls Club with the project from kind of from the ground up. Do you want to just give people kind of an overview of the, the process and the, the purpose behind the club? Sure. Um... Well, the Girls Club started in 1996. Um, Some unhappy uh, mothers in the Girls Club realized there were three boys clubs, nothing for girls. Uh, They came to my wife, Lynn, who had had some experience fundraising and running a children's art workshop on the Lower East Side right out of Cooper Union. Uh, They came to her and said, can you help us? And from really from nothing, they they started the girls club from actually from a shopping cart full of art supplies they drag around. And they had uh, places in basements, uh, back offices, finally rented a place on First Street. But the goal was always to build their own building. And uh, finally, in, about, in 2010, they broke ground on the building, and uh, 
It was it's very ambitious, 30,000 square feet, including an airstream uh, recording studio, a maker shop, art studios and the planetarium, of course. And so I'd like to say that it was my idea to build the planetarium, but it was really uh, and my brilliant wife's idea. Uh, but uh, she had in the back of the back of her mind, well, uh, Dave uh, would know how to do this. He worked for a planetarium company before he worked in television. And it's true that um, quite a few years before I had worked at Spitz uh, in Philadelphia, and they manufacture um, domes and install them all over the world and also install um, projection systems. And our, a friend of ours who actually had gone to grad school with my wife was still at this planetarium. They both studied anthropology and uh, uh, they both did something different. Uh, Lynn taught at NYU for a while and then started the girls club. Our friend Mike was still there and doing digital production at Spitz. And so we contracted them. And uh, as part of the building, we had to build a giant cinder block room with 24 foot ceilings in order to put the dome in. And uh, that was fine. That went fine, except that with height restrictions on our lot, we were just barely uh, tall enough in that room to to put the dome in and uh, actually had to hoist this dome up right up to the ceiling in order to have enough clearance. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun building the, the planetarium. Uh, I was so thrilled to, to have the delivery of all these parts that were computer uh, cut and bent uh, in the factory to to create this dome, but uh, well, we had bought uh, the premium dome and the premium dome was one that had uh, very fine uh, joints between the panels and the dome surface itself. And it's called the, uh, the, the nano dome or nano something. Uh, but it turns out that uh, in order to get this very fine uh, joint between all these panels, it required a lot of human intervention. So three Cockney planetarium uh, installers who travel around doing this showed up and uh, it took three days to hang the frame and three and a half weeks to individually mill the edges of all these panels, even though they had been cut by a planet, uh, by a computer, uh, it required these cr uh, crazy guys. I never understood a word they said uh, to each other. They had such wild accents. And um, so they put the whole thing together. Uh, we had uh, surround sound uh, and I remember even before the projector arrived, I played that famous piece of music from uh, 2001, The Space Odyssey, also Sprach Zarathustra. Uh, I, I played that in the dome and I was crying. I was so happy to, to hear just the sound. We hadn't gotten the picture yet. At least one part of it was working so far. Yes. Great. Yeah, I knew, I knew we were on our way. And... Uh, 
but uh, I wanted to, uh, I had I had some things I wanted to get out of the projection that Spitz um, uh, couldn't quite provide. So I had to go to a, a smaller company called Illuminati, the the Illuminati. Do they make uh, the big they, blow up domes also? They make yes, big, they like, make portable, well, they make portable. all kinds of uh, sections of domes, different mm-hmm. kinds of specialty domes and different kinds of special projections. Okay. Um, but mainly I went to them because they supported the software that the Museum of Natural History at Hayden Planetarium that they were using. And I knew I wanted to collaborate with them. So we got is that, a, is that the open space. Well, at that point, it was the predecessor to Open Space. It was oh, Uniview. Uniview, okay. So Great. Uniview was the first uh, piece of software that Carter Emmert at the museum and his team developed for planetarium operations. And so we went with Uniview and a single fisheye projector in the middle of the dome. And uh, we got the best projector we could afford at that time. Um, and we were off and running. So we licensed some programs through Spitz, um, including a show called Maya Skies, uh, because I have a particular interest in the Maya culture in southern Mexico, and we wanted to be able to show this program in the dome. So we had uh, uh, five or six programs, and then the um, museum donated to us their entire back catalog of shows, uh, which was great. And one reason we were able to to swing that was that Carter Emmert from the museum uh, came on our board and he got very interested. He is a Lower East Sider also and a wild man, if anybody out there knows him. Right. And he's Um, and so he's the 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 director of astrovisualization at the Hayden Planetarium. Mm-hmm. So he helps, he basically works on all the space shows. So hence the access to all of those for you. Right? Yes, he yeah. was the, uh, yeah, that's a wonderful title, director of astrovisualization. Um, and uh, so he became a, a friend and advisor and did some great shows uh, for for the community out of our dome. And he just loved having a little toy dome to play in. But our dome wasn't, it wasn't really a toy. It was a 30-foot diameter uh, dome. And um, as I say, surround sound. And I got to customize a few things for us. And uh, we ended up using it for a lot of things. We had musical performances in there. Moby had a performance there early on, Roseanne Cash. uh, And then in 2019, um, we had uh, one of our music teachers whose professional name is Liquid. Uh, she did a whole kind of Afrofuturist show there that was just spectacular. And I, I had a good time working with her on that. We also used, besides Uniview to start out with, we started out with Unity, the game engine, because I had found a fisheye uh camera rig you can put into the game to uh, allow you to project anything in a, the game engine that I or the girls could create um, to project that up into the dome. 
And uh, we had a lot of fun with this. We did a piece called The Pleiades Sisters, where um, just briefly the background is that uh, in the middle of the 21st century, man had gone to the moon and to Mars, but it was discovered that men could not tolerate the long space voyages. So for the starship, we had to send seven women and we called them the Pleiades sisters. And so before they left the uh, solar system, they stopped on an asteroid and created a memorial to their childhoods on earth. And this was what the girls created uh, that you did a little fly through and you heard the girls music and each girl made up a story uh, related to the Pleiades. And uh, I think that was probably the best uh, girl made production that we were able to do. So in addition to having like some of the, the pre-packaged um, programs from elsewhere from AM and H. Um, you had the girls actually working and creating their own content that they were able to share like with their family, with the public, with whoever was in the dome. Right. So they, they were able to create their own content, but also every girl who came in for a class there, uh, we taught them how to turn on the lights, how to navigate the uh, the software to fly through the universe. So every girl got to have hands-on experience there. So it was quite a lot of fun. And then the other really fun part of it for me was um, whole classes of kids from the local schools coming by. And we have something like nine schools within walking distance of, of the girls club. And so we'd have a lot of classes come by. And, you know, the girls, um, I think after a while, began to take for granted that there was a planetarium in the building. But <laughs> yeah, not the, everyone has a all, planetarium on their yeah, block. Yeah, <laughs> you know, go figure. I never took it for granted. But, uh, but every school kid who came in, it was a special day and it was a field trip and they were out of school and it was... They were uh, they were very excited and they asked they asked great questions. They stumped me all the time. Uh, one favorite question was, does the Earth need the moon? Does the Earth need the moon? Hmm. That's uh, that's a tough one. Well, <laughs> it, you know, you can say that we needed the moon and the tides for evolution to work the way that it did. Um, but um I think I left that question for Carter. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, great. That Even that the elementary school kids are asking amazing questions like that. And yeah. I guess just to kind of follow up with the girls who are creating all this content and maybe some of them even starting to take it for granted that they have a whole planetarium that they're trained on that they have to, to use and enjoy and, and work with. Um, what, what kind of age range? These are mostly middle school, high school students? Yes. Uh, well, when we first started out, um, it, we were small enough that uh, we could have elementary school girls come, at, but we'd have to send a, a teacher out to collect them at their schools. And so you'd have these these little kids like ducklings following the the teacher to the girls club. But as it got bigger, um, it, it just became harder to marshal those little girls. So we began to um, we began to start at middle school, 
And, uh, you know, the, the littler girls could come with their classes or with their parents for special events, but middle school, high school. That's incredible. Like way more interesting than anything I did in middle school or high school, I have to say. <laughs> um, and and the, the planetarium, just to review, you said it's like, what is a 30 foot dome that's like side to side? And what's the seating like in there? 30, 30 feet in diameter. Okay. Um, we fit 65 seats in, uh, which um, left still left us a little room at the front of the dome. These days, when you build a planetarium, most often you build it with a tilted dome so that it's tilted down in the front where you're facing. And also everybody faces the same way. So it's more like a theater. And this is better for the pre-rendered uh, programs that you license because there's a foreground area. You're not just looking straight up and, and you're not having to look all around the dome to see everything. Everything's kind of facing forward. So it was a 30 foot dome, uh, tilted 65 seats, and uh, we did very well for years with, with Uniview and our first projector. Uh, but after a while, projection uh, got cheaper. And also, uh, we got tired of replacing the lamps and our original projector. They were very expensive. So um, in the last year or so, we got a, a new projector, which was uh, LED-based, brighter, sharper, uh, higher resolution. And so I was very happy to have um, a new projection system there. And also about the same time, um, uh, open space software was, was becoming available. And this is, was the newest version of software that Carter Emmert and his team developed. And uh, it was still using the digital universe database that, uh, that the museum maintains. And um, it, it had a lot of new capabilities. And the main one that was a lot of fun to play with, it was super high resolution flyovers of the moon and Mars. And so uh, we were able to do that. And actually super high resolution flyer, flyovers of Earth. And uh, anybody that's seen a show by Carter in, in the Hayden or in, in the East Village Planetarium will know that he loves taking you for trips to Mount Everest and all kinds of great places. And uh, so it's, it's pretty astounding. The, what you can do in a planetarium or on your laptop with <laughs> open space. It's a free download and yeah. and open source and available to everybody. Yeah. I've been, so, I've been in the uh, dome when Carter's just like puts out the rug and we're all just like looking up. I'm like, just take us anywhere, Carter, anywhere you want to go. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and actually, I was in a, a very interesting session at the Hayden uh, that Carter kind of uh, moderated, but what it was was the planetary scientists deciding where to land the the next rover, the one that that we're we're watching now, mm -hmm. and so they were going over the geology of the area and what they expected to see, and again the detail and the um, 
the overlays that Carter and his team were able to put on there for for the scientists, uh, uh, it was fascinating. So yeah. open space has become a, a real data visualization tool for the professionals, and it's also really a fun experience for for everybody. Yeah, I think I fall into the a little bit of both, mostly the everybody category. I, I have it on my on my Mac and I use yep. it for live streams like every week. <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm a big fan. So we will definitely include the links for open space um, on here. Uh, just a quick contrast with the with AM and H or with Hayden Planetarium. That one's more in the round. So that's more kind of old fashioned, I guess, at this point. Um, you're saying that most planetariums now are being built where you don't have it like all around you, but everyone's facing the same way instead of like facing a star ball in the center or something. Cause it seems like most planetariums now are more digital projection. Um, so using software like open space or other, um, other software for that. Um, right. Right. It's, it's a little different experience. You're more, it's more like you're in the theater than you're uh, looking all around you to, to, to get everything that's being projected. You also hosted the the NASA Space Apps Challenge. Was that at the Lower East Side Girls Club or was that somewhere else in New York City? Yes, we, um, uh, so the word went out as it does every year, apply to be a host of the NASA Space Apps Challenge. And for what, uh, for people who don't know what that is, it's a, it's centrally organized uh, and funded by a grant from NASA, but organized by a, a nonprofit that uh, basically just uh, sets up the the infrastructure for it. But anybody around the world can host it. And so you have little hacker groups uh, all over the world. It was really fun to 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 be part of the uh, online meetings for this because people were calling in from everywhere. And you organize a, um, a hackathon uh, over a weekend and everybody's doing the same weekend and you compete locally for best uh, in a, a lot of categories and they set up the categories. But fortunately for us, because uh, we focused on the arts and music, uh, actually much more than on coding. Fortunately for us, uh, the categories were broad enough that you could do almost anything space related. So the first year we, uh, we provided the venue for the main host, uh, who had done it for a few years and, um, and he came and we had 130 hackers in the girls club. Some of them spent the night sleeping on the floor in the planetarium. Uh, <laughs> and but, these are people from uh, all over New York City, all over the New York City area. Yeah, they were. It was all from New York City. And they spent um, they spent the weekend uh, coming up with great projects. Uh, some of them by the end of the weekend were kind of proof of concept and uh if they went on to uh to like uh, uh to compete in national awards they they tried to complete it uh but that was uh, tremendous fun um and uh, so that was about 130 people the second year um we decided to 
do an all-girl hackathon with our girls. So we had about 50 or 60 girls, uh, again, from all over the city, uh, came together and did some, some really great projects and had a lot of fun and invited women from Google, from Unity, from uh, different tech groups to, to come in and do the judging. So that was a lot of fun. And then last year, all of this was done virtually, you know, the days of hacking all night long um, may come back. I hope they come back. Uh, But it was done, uh, it was done virtually. And uh, one of the things that I did was to uh, create a tutorial about Mozilla Hubs, which is kind of a, an immersive uh, VR world that you can collaborate in. So I created this tutorial for anybody that wanted to try to collaborate with their friends, uh, hack with their friends virtually. So, um, yeah, the Space Apps Challenge uh, kind of introduced us to the idea of using NASA's API to call down data and display it in different ways. And the the classic uh, first uh, way to do this is with the uh, the um, astronomy picture of the day uh, site that NASA runs, and you can you can create your own app to pull down the picture of the day and look at any 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 photo from their archive. Just a a quick clarification. What exactly is an API? An API is an application program interface, programming interface, something like that. It basically (laughs) is a, is a doorway into somebody's, uh, some places information. And so a lot of places that have databases uh, for all kinds of purposes, provide users with a way to write a little, a simple program to to pull down the information and then you can display it any way that you like. So as far as the the Space Apps Challenge, um, I just want to give, you know, listeners kind of a, a, a bit of flavor of it. If, if they're interested in participating, you know, whether they're young women who want to participate with like the girls team or something, or just whoever interested, um, you don't have to necessarily be a, like a coder. You just have to be like, you know, some kind of imagination and, and able to think and, and work constructively. Um, is it, would you say that's a fair assessment for the space apps challenge or what would, what would you yes. say like the qualifications? Like, what kind of people? Uh, the only qualification is that you're excited by space. <laughs> um, I mean, you can uh, you can make a web page. You can do a piece of art. You can do a piece of music. Um, anything that's inspired by space. If you are a coder, um, there are there's so much out there that you can work with, but it's not it's not necessary. So. Really, just Google NASA Space Apps Challenge. You find their website, um, and you find out when the next one's going to be. And then you look on the map to see where um, where the uh, closest one to you is. And uh, you just you register. You just register for that place, and hopefully you show up. We'll see how in person things things go going forward, but. Uh, there are all kinds of ways to participate. That's fantastic. 
um, yeah, so for people with all sorts of interests, but just, yeah, passion and interest in space in particular, um, but then all sorts of skill sets that they can contribute. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about a couple of other things that we did just very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm remembering, I'm looking at my notes here. Um, we had a space art show. We had a gallery in the, uh, in the reception area, and I, I collected space art from all over. And it turns out Carter is quite a skilled artist as well as uh, all the other things that he that he does, and so some of his art was in it, a uh, a an original cover art by Kim Stanley Robinson, a science fiction writer who uh, wrote the Mars trilogy. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and also um, we had through Carter, we had uh, some of the New Horizons team, the Pluto flyby. Uh, Alan Stern, uh, who was chief of mission, came by the planetarium. That was exciting. Uh, his planetary scientist, Kathy Olkin, was, um, was uh, visited us twice. And, um, you know, we had Fair Play for Pluto T-shirts made up and so, that the girls wore uh, when Kathy was there and so, it, you know, we had quite a lot of fun and, it, you know, I was a little casual about saying the girls took it for granted, but it, it's really a matter of uh, every girl at the girls club was given an opportunity to do whatever they were interested in. And now almost all the girls love making music in the uh, recording studio and the music studio. Um, um, and some of them really took to, to space. So we tried to offer something for every girl. And, uh, and I think we, we were pretty successful at that. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of amazing opportunities for, for young people in the community, uh, especially young women, all the girls. Um, so just really, yeah, really incredible what you and Lynn built um, there with the work of, I'm sure, so many other people. Well, we uh, we tried so much in the planetarium, um, and uh, I don't know. I've always been an early adopter with new technology, and sometimes I'm a little too early, and I get tired of it before it it really hits. Uh, but one thing uh, that we tried was VR, virtual reality, and I I should mention that open space has a uh, configuration where you can uh, I haven't I haven't tried it but you can uh, uh, use open space in VR and that should be pretty amazing to be floating out there in space. Uh, so we tried that. Um, as I said, we did a lot of Unity things. Um, just anything that came through. We did a lot of music. We did a lot of visuals where uh, audio reactive visuals where the the uh, visuals in the dome would react to whatever music um, or and and I always had a uh, some musical instruments in the dome whenever the girls started getting a little antsy because they'd been in class all day long. Uh, and it could only concentrate on the computer stuff for a little while, I'd send them in just to kind of make a lot of noise on the instruments in the dome, and that was a lot of fun, too. 
It so does sound like fun. <laughs> had, a, had a lot of fun with that. And um, uh, I did, uh, uh, I was always looking, I mean, this was the girls club. I was always looking for that uh, young woman who had studied some astronomy in, in college and wanted to come back and give to the community. And we had, we had a couple of terrific uh, teachers um, who uh, learned to run things in the planetarium, also run the maker shop. Um, uh, and uh, I, I'm happy I was able to, to leave things to them to, to uh, take it to the next, next level whenever we can all get back together again in the planetarium. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like just an, an incredible, an incredible position and incredible work that you got to do there. Um, something that might be kind of hard to retire from to, to move on, even if it's to, you know, other yeah, I'm, things I in miss, your life. yeah, I miss my planetarium, but I, I need to mention a couple of, a uh, couple of projects that, that uh, are coming up. Uh, we've, we've, we, for many years, uh, we took girls up to camp in the Adirondacks. And for many girls, that was the first time that they got to see the Milky Way, the first, you know, to get out of the city, to get somewhere where they could actually see the skies. And the camp director would pull out a couple of telescopes and we would look at the rings of Saturn and, and all of that. And, uh, uh, we, uh, we still spend a lot of time up in the Adirondacks, but we discovered last year that in Tupper Lake, there is the Adirondack Sky Center, and they have some fantastic telescopes, and they're basically an observatory, but they have a whole plan to build a planetarium in the Adirondacks. And so I'm hoping, uh, I think that they know about as much as I do uh, about this by now, but I'm hoping that I get to help them with that. And then just recently, um, I had heard back when we were building the planetarium that down in Mexico, where we've also taken girls and and uh, brought up uh, uh, Maya girl photographers to New York. I mean, we've had all kinds of exchanges down in this town in Southern Mexico. For years, they had an inflatable dome that they would take around to the villages. And uh, that project, I guess, uh, lost its funding. The dome, inflatable dome was put away. So we're in the process of trying to find that inflatable dome and get it up and running again. So I'll be back in some planetarium sometime. <laughs> getting, getting more planetarium set up in places where they are needed, which is everywhere, really. Just a couple of quick last questions. One, um, assuming, you know, we're getting opening up, you know, New York is looking a little bit more open every day, it seems. Um, are a lot of these programs that you have at in the planetarium uh, that they have at the Lower East Side Girls Club, are a lot of those open to the public or are those mostly for the girls and their family and friends? Um, like if, if our listeners wanted to check out some of the programming, is there a lot that's just posted on the website that anyone can come to or get tickets to, or is it more like uh, community-based? Well, it, it's, it's focused on the girls and the, and the community and their families. 
but there are a lot of, uh, of public events. So yes, they can go to girlsclub.org. We snagged the domain early on. Nice. <laughs> yeah, girlsclub.org. Um, and uh, and just see, I mean, it's uh, it's it's gearing back up after this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure uh, what the schedule is in the planetarium yet. Uh, but uh, yes, we always plan to have more public programming, uh, public programs. And I'm yeah. I'm hoping that they're they're able to do that. But there are all sorts of other activities and uh, another project that uh, my wife Lynn uh, got started uh, is a new center for it's called the Center for Well-being and Happiness and it's kind of a, um, a health and uh, mental health uh, center for the community but it's also a a uh, another big public space with a different entrance around the corner from the girls club so the the hope is that that will have more public programming and definitely mental health is going to be a huge issue as we're (laughs) coming out of what we're all just coming out of so that's a wonderful initiative um, so we'll have links to these in our show notes, make sure that people can find out and reach out. They want to, uh, participate or contribute or whatever. Um, just, uh, one last question, uh, before we, uh, head out here, uh, we like to ask all of our guests on AAA sky, um, if you have a favorite place in New York city, or I should say, I'm sure you do have a favorite place. Like what would be your favorite place in New York city? It doesn't have to be astronomy related, uh, but a favorite spot to, to visit or to go see or do things. Boy, that's a tough one. There's, uh, there's so much there. Um, well, you know, we're really partial to our neighborhood, the Lower East side. Um, there's so much there. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, uh, we were able to create something that's going to outlive us. Um, that, uh, you know, how often do you get to build a building in Manhattan? And so the (laughs) girls club and on Avenue D between seventh and eighth street, uh, will be there a long time. I mean, buildings come, buildings go, but it's going to be very hard to demolish that big chunk of concrete that we created. And it's a beautiful building. It comes out of, uh, again, my brilliant wife's um, background. She went to Cooper Union. I mean, we're we're completely East Village. Her her parents came to the East Village in 1913. I came. I didn't come till the 70s, but we've been there a long, long time. And, uh, and we love it. And we're, we're really happy we were able to create an institution that's gonna, gonna be there. And not just create an institution, but create a beautiful, beautiful facility. I mean, there are a lot of social service agencies that do good work. But um, this is a very special, very special place. And uh, that planetarium, the Airstream recording studio, which is a whole other story, um, uh, and all the facilities there, the green roof, they're going to be there a long time. 
And so we're happy to have, uh, to have uh, created that for the, for the community. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with us. Um, just sharing some of your, your, uh, knowledge about it and about the, just the creation and, um, just what it's been like, just the, the ride that you've been on for the last several years <laughs> with this amazing oh, yes. project. Um, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. Thank you. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun going back through everything that we've, that we've done and, uh, check back. Maybe we'll have that planetarium in Mexico someday. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> So listening to this, I have to confess my ignorance. I grew up going to the Hayden Planetarium when I was a kid, but I had no idea that there was another planetarium in New York. Yeah, well, when you were growing up, Stanley, it wasn't there, <laughs> to be fair. It's, they only broke ground in 2010, which is about the same year I was getting to New York City. So even when I first got here, it wasn't fully complete. They didn't have that there. Um, but we do have a few planetaria in the in the area. There are some at schools that some people might be aware of, and just a few other public planetaria in the New York City area. There's Liberty Science Center over in New Jersey, the Hudson River Museum, just a little bit north of the city. And at the New York Hall of Science, I believe they have a small one as well. Well, in this case, I found the, your discussion of it and what they're doing, there's so many ways in which it's cool. I mean, it's not just a planetarium where there are shows and the public comes in and they see the show at the appointed time and then they leave. Yeah, there is that. But more importantly, it's also just a wonderful teaching tool for the girls where the girls can learn not only about astronomy and they do have other you know, events such as having the New Horizons mission team come in to present something um, or learning how to create a presentation on a, at a planetarium, which in itself is, a, is a, a wonderful thing, but also STEM in general and coding and other fields such as arts and music. They had a space art exhibit and they have music presentations. And he also mentioned uh, a mixed art presentation called the Pleiades. Um, this is just a, a fabulous learning tool for the girls of the Lower East Side Girls Club. Yeah, it's really, I would say, full steam ahead. So for people that are familiar with STEM but haven't heard of STEAM, <laughs> the A is for arts. Um, I think one of the, my favorite stories he told was about, you know, having some musical instruments in the planetarium for when the girls are coming in, but they might just, you know, be tired from a long day of school and hard to focus. They can just kind of unwind and uh, de-stress a little bit with the instruments and then come back to the astronomy and, and, and coding training that they have there. Just a really amazing opportunity for them. Absolutely. Um, I found, I also found an article in the New York Times from 2010 um, just, I guess, just before they broke ground on the planetarium or, or contemporaneous with it, um, where this article, and we'll post a link to it in our show notes, discusses a project where he helped the girls of the club create a 14 foot uh, motorized robot of a teenage girl called Girlzilla. And it's a very cool article. And again, it's it shows him teaching the girls how to bend pipes and things like that. It's, it's definitely worth reading. 
Yeah, I was really impressed with all the projects that he and his wife, Lynn, have been involved with over the years and, and continuing some of their ongoing um, projects that they're working on. So really excited to see where all that takes them. And I'll be checking in on them again just to see how they're doing with those. But for anyone um, who's interested in checking out the Lower East Side Girls Club, as things start opening up, they might have some public events. So uh, their website, again, is girlsclub.org. And you can check their calendar to see if there's anything available for the public. And of course, if you live in the neighborhood, and you haven't already, definitely stop by and check them out over on 8th Street and Avenue D. And now here's Irene's Celestial Forecast. Thanks, Stanley. Happy Solstice. June 20th marks the sun's northernmost rising and setting and transiting the meridian and just generally lighting up the sky for a huge chunk of time in the northern hemisphere. After this, our nights start getting longer again. For all you New Yorkers, Manhattan Henge is ongoing and can be seen on the grid before sunset. Over the next few weeks, the crossing time will shift from about 8.06 to about 8.15 p.m. Jupiter and Saturn are rejoining our evening sky, both visible before midnight. Venus is still out in the evening and is the brightest object between the horizon and Mars, which is getting dimmer. And on June 22nd through 24th, we'll pass the Beehive Cluster, a.k.a. M44, a.k.a. Persepi. The best photo op will be on June 23rd, though it will be a little of a challenge uh, with Mars only 10 degrees above the west-northwest horizon. There will also be a nearly full moon lighting up the southeast part of the sky. For the last week of the month, the moon will be below the horizon before midnight, giving us a darker evening sky. Mercury is making its way west and will be visible in the pre-dawn sky towards the end of the month. Its greatest western elongation will be July 4th. And finally, for our featured constellation, we have Cassiopeia, the queen. This bright group of stars forms an M or a W in our sky, depending on its altitude. As a circumpolar constellation, it swings high into our autumn and winter skies as an M and skims the horizon in spring and summer as a W. Lying along the plane of the Milky Way, it hosts several open clusters, including one of my favorites, the OWL, or NGC 457. It also has several multiple star systems with a range of colors to tease out and a current Nova. Yes, if you haven't checked in on NovaCast 2021, this would be a good time. Like its host constellation, the puzzling Nova is circumpolar at the latitude of New York City. It's now appearing a bit higher in the Northeast after astronomical twilight. So look for it with a telescope or binoculars near the open cluster M52. The east side of the W points right towards it. Between the stars and the clusters and this current Nova, Cassiopeia is like a celestial exploration station with much to offer for curious observers, both novice and seasoned. That's your celestial forecast. And now it's time for the AAA Sky Listener Challenge. Each episode, we ask you a question about a previous episode, and award some AAA-branded swag to the winner, who will be chosen at random from among all the correct entries. So, Irene, what was the question we asked our listeners last episode? In our last episode, for the listener challenge, we asked you which pre-Columbian site in the United States, Jorge, Colorado, recommended as a must-see. The correct answer is the Cahokia Mounds in Illinois, and yes, I plan to be there later this month. How did our listeners do, Stan? 
Well, we used random.org to choose a winner from among all the correct answers. And the winner is William Lamb. Congratulations, William. We'll be contacting you to get your preferred size for your AAA Sky hoodie, as well as your mailing address. For those listeners who still want to win a AAA Sky hoodie, what's our next listener challenge question? The new challenge is, what is Allison Sheffield's favorite type of star? Remember, you can accept the listener challenge by sending your entry via email to listenerchallenge at AAA.org. Be sure to get your entry in by the deadline of midnight on Sunday, June 26th. And please include any comments or suggestions you might have. We love to hear from you. That's our show. Tune in next time for our season one finale, where Irene and I speak to AAA chairman John Bills. Until then, stop by www.aaa.org to learn more about the AAA and how you can become part of it. AAA Sky audio editing and original music is by Preston Staley. Our technical producer is Parker Bossier.